Hey, this is Homer Hargrove. I'm the pastor of Grape Top Church, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for connecting with our family today, and I hope this message inspires you and that it makes a difference in your life. Enjoy the message. This runaway series is something near to my heart because for me, I feel like parts of my life have been those runaway moments, and especially... And today's topic, we are actually, I, I don't really think I've really uh, taught or preached on the prodigal son, but that is going to be the story that we focus around today, the prodigal son. It's one of the most popular stories, the most Classic. talked about stories. Mm-hmm. And today, I, I really can't even remember a time where like I really dove into the prodigal son because there's for the longest time I thought, well, it's like, uh, you know, it's kind of like kicking a dead horse, you know, <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like the go-to Everyone's a prodigal son in some way, mm-hmm. but today I hope that as we go through it, that you really see this this story unpacked to where it, it really does minister to you. Mm-hmm. And before we get started, I want to thank Matt for jumping on all the way from uh, Cuba. Somewhere <laughs> Cu- far. Cuba. Um, uh, Stephanie, thank you again for jumping on. Lucy, happy early Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Um, Dean, Mary Kate, hope you guys are doing swell. Um, uh, thank you all for, for being a part. And so going into this topic, um, the verse right before the story is uh, a parable that Jesus just talks about uh, a woman who loses a coin and then finds her coin. And it says, in the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents, Luke fifteen ten. And the reason I just wanted to start with this verse is because when we think of repent, it's usually like just sounds like an ugly word, right? Like repent or for the kingdom of God is near. Mm-hmm. I always go back to when I had, uh, when we were doing free hugs and those people started yelling at me, repent, because I was offering people hugs in the name of Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it just, it, I feel like in our culture, it's come across in such, um, in such a negative tone, a screaming tone, a yelling tone. But here, it, is, it, it connotates repents with, with so much joy. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, what repent means is to turn around, to turn from. And, and when, it, when whatever we're repenting of, it's not always just like a lifestyle of, of toxic sin. Yeah. Sometimes it's, it's just like that subtle running away. Uh, uh, from God in our hearts or just a, an anger from God that, that we come back to to trust in, trust in Him again. It's like repent is just to turn back to Jesus in whatever way that is. It doesn't mean that you're even going to hell or that you're far away from Him, but those, it's those runaway moments that are sometimes you know big gaps and other times those millimeter shifts. And it says that all of heaven rejoices that there is so much joy in the presence of God and his angels because of just one person drawing close to God. And so with that as, as the, the backdrop, um, uh, I want us to jump into this. And what, the way that we're going to go through this is really just breaking down verses by verses as we go through this story. And what I believe that this story of the prodigal son gives is, a, is some really broad reasons and motivations of why people run away. Mm-hmm. And to, uh, especially in our, with our faith, with our life in God, but even um, from our life here, like our families, our, our, uh, our loved ones of 
reasons why we run away. And some of these most, the common ones that we're going to get into is, is pressure, pride, and pleasure. Mm. And we're going to unpack that right now. In Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 13, just starting off, it says, this is Jesus talking. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. How many sons? Two. Two sons. We didn't even plan that. Yeah. That was just, that was smooth, that was just yeah. so natural. Mm-hmm. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. Dang. And so stopping right there, even though it seems like this part of the story went by quick, I really believe that if we dive in, there's, there's so much content in this text. Just starting at the very beginning of this story, it identifies that there's two sons and there's a comparison between the two. And even uh, with this, at the very beginning of the story, showing this comparison, there's, there, ha- there seems to be this, this unspoken pressure between the younger son and the older son. Mm-hmm. And we'll get more into that in a minute. And then the other thing that we see in this story is an immense amount of pride. Pride. And we see that the pride is what causes, uh, uh, what causes him to want his share now. He's, he doesn't need his father's help. He doesn't need his family's help. He's ready to just leave mm-hmm. and make it out on his own. Yeah. We'll get into pride in just a minute. And then, and then the very end of this, this part is pleasure. And that's usually what we, we think the whole reason is the whole time. Yeah. But I really believe that pleasure is, was only uh, a slapped on label to the things that were deep inside of his heart. Mm-hmm. And jumping into, well, and we're going to kind of start from, from end to last. We're going to start with pressure, pleasure, talk about pride, and then go into pressure. And starting with pleasure, the lures of pleasure traps a person. Mm-hmm. The lures of treasure trap a person. And did I say pressure? You said treasure. Treasure, but my bad. Yeah. The lures of pleasure, the yeah. lures of pleasure, not treasure, <laughs> traps a person. And in this story, his desires for pleasure seem to be attempting to fill a void that wasn't given. Mm-hmm. It, there's some type of void here because if it was just pleasure, why would he go to a distant land? Why would he want to get so far away from his family, away from his town, if pleasure was the only motivating factor? It's like I said, pleasure is that slap on label for us to feel like we have an excuse to not address the issues deep inside of our heart. A lot of us, come on, a lot of us, when we first start drinking, first start doing drugs, first time we did anything that we regret, but it was out of pleasure, we were doing something behind the scenes in our heart. On the outside, is just, woo, having yeah. fun. Yeah. But deep down, there's something that we were really covering for. Mm-hmm. And in this story, we see him chasing after pleasure to fill those voids. And the, the Bible makes it so clear that the wages of sin is death. And while sin can be pleasurable for a moment, mm-hmm. 
There's no doubt about that. Sin can be pleasurable for a moment. But those moments become moments wasted. Yeah. Moments of pleasure often uh, moments of pleasure and sin often become moments wasted. Yeah. And even just think about like one uh, uh, you know I'm not saying that it's uh, wrong to drink, but I'm talking about like binge drinking like over and over and over because you're trying to forget about something. Mm-hmm. Those are moments that you can't even remember. You can't even go back to because of the blackout the blackout drunk that you get. See, those are moments wasted. Any fun that you might have had, the moments are wasted. Yeah. And, and there's so, you know, we could go down the list, but I think that you guys get the picture that so often we run to these pleasures only to forget them, only to waste these moments. If you even think about um, like premarital sex, these moments uh, of, of sex are supposed to be intimate and amazing and beautiful but how many people have lost their virginity in the backseat of a car instead of having a moment that was special yeah. and meaningful, but a special moment was wasted for just that one moment of pleasure. Yeah. And that's what sin does mm-hmm. is it promises to please us. It promises to satisfy us. But what it is is, is an insatiable and fleeting thing. Yeah. It's insatiable meaning that no matter how much you do of it, you always need more. Yeah. And fleeting, meaning it's like right at the tip of your fingers, but right when you're about to get it, it slips away. Yeah. But you keep feeling like you're almost there, and so you keep chasing it. it and yet it's always fleeting. And it promises, it promises to satisfy the thirst of, in our souls. There is something in ourselves that thirsts for something more. There's something within us that really wants to be satisfied. I mean, even just look at simple thing like ambition. It's something that wants to be satisfied. There's a hunger within our souls that is beyond a natural eating or drinking. It, it is something that desires to be satisfied. And we chase pleasures of all kinds. I mean, how many times have you gone shopping to make yourself feel happy? Mm. I mean, how many times have you bought something on Amazon because you just wanted to feel better at that moment? Hey, chill. <laughs> <laughs> <That's weird. laughs> uh, uh, but, w- and, and once you get it, the first moment that you open it, you're like, oh, yippee. Mm-hmm. And then either, whether it's a couple hours or the next day, you're looking on Amazon again because that pleasure left. Mm. It's fleeting. You're no longer satisfied. Yeah. And this, if we continue to chase pleasure, it, it's like uh, it, to, it, pleasure to satisfy us, pleasure to make us happy. It is like drinking salt water while la- lost at sea. Mm. It, it not only makes you thirstier, it not only dehydrates you, but it can eventually kill you. Yeah. And that's what happens if we just throw off all restraint and indulge in every kind of pleasure that we imagine, it, it is literally something that will kill us. It will kill our relationships. It will kill our, our identities. It will kill so much about us to where when you look at uh, drug addiction, when you look at alcoholism, when you look at these strong addictions, the pleasure is an epitome of pleasure taking over a person's soul to where they are not people anymore. That not saying like they don't have value. What I'm saying is that they have lost themselves and now it's, I'm just a junkie. I, all, all I fiend for is this. I mean, even when you watch that, that documentary, uh, Tiger King, <laughs> and you see that these guys that literally 
like went down this lifestyle that they're not even for. Like they, yeah. like the the guys on there that later say, "Well, I wasn't really gay, but he gave me free meth." Like it, it's shocking to see people make these uh, the directions in life because their personhood, their identity, was usurped by their their desire for pleasure. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, this run, running away. And, and chasing pleasure, if when those moments where we really start seeking pleasure, you have to slow down and just look at yourself and say, what is it that I'm trying to fill? What is it that I'm really trying to cover up? Because this pleasure is only the puddle to the hydrant that's leaking. What are your thoughts on this idea of lure, the lures of pleasure and how they only trap people? Yeah. Um... So I agree with that statement <laughs> as I'm thinking about it, you know, um, it's just, just like you said earlier, like a lot of times we look at this story and then even look at the sins in our lives or whatever. And it, a lot of times it, it is masked and looks like, oh, it's because I'm following that pleasure. I just want to do this. I just want to do that. The, the, the son, he just wanted to go party. You know, that's what it appeared as. But just like you were mentioning, like the truth is, the enemy is sitting there with this bait saying, hey, you want to do this, this, and this, all those different things we can list, right? And a lot of times I, I even realize the times that we go to it and it looks like I just want to do this and chill or whatever it looks like, it's because there's a, a huge hole in our heart and our soul that we're trying to use that to fill it with. But so many times, you know, we think it's just the sin or other people look on the outside looking in like, oh, I'm just going to do that. And the enemy's like, oh, yeah, just come do this, if that makes sense. But it's because of so much emptiness inside. And yet, you know, we all are broken and we all are empty and we're all trying to be whole in Christ or whatever we're trying to do. But whenever we come to a place where we have a strong foundation in Christ, you know, as strong as it can be, right? And, And and we, we begin, begin to live our lives for him and allow him to fill those holes, the lure of sin, the bait of Satan right in front of us becomes that much more, you become that much more, I guess, stronger, you can say, to resist it. That's, does that mean we're never going to fall again? Of course not. The Bible is very clear on that. But what I'm saying, it no longer is such a lure for us. Lure for us. Yeah. And, and it just makes me think of like the idea, you know, those times where, like you're talking about being promiscuous and premarital sex. It's like, oh, I just want to have a good time. Like, why can't I? And, and it appears like that. But at the end of the day, is it because we're lonely? Is it because we're insecure? Is it because we don't feel value? You know, is it because in a lot of times it's definitely that deeper issue, you know, and drinking, you know, a lot of times we run to that sounds fun. Let's socially drink, but what are we trying to numb? And again, like you said, we are not saying at all that drinking is bad and you can't do it. But those times we all know that there's a difference between drinking and drinking, you know, and those times we, what are we doing? We're going to those things to numb ourselves. And and there can be so many other examples. Um, even adultery, you know, like that's a real thing. And what, you know, they may look, oh, I just thought this other person was this or that. And I just wanted to go for it. No, a lot of times you're not content or you're not, um, you know, taking time to invest hard work to love your spouse. And you just want the easy way out. And you just want to just fulfill that emptiness that you yourself can work on and make such a difference in your own marriage, you know? And, um, I know that I'm just sharing different examples, but I guess I just see it as like the enemy wants to make it seem so innocent in a weird way, but we need to stop and look at what the deeper issue is in our heart, 
And when we begin to, you know, um, allow God to fill those things, the the easier it is to say, oh, I don't want that. Yeah. Um, and so that's my little tangent. But. <laughs> well, that that was really powerful, Lauren. And I really, um, really like how you were, sh- uh, what you were saying about, like, even just value. And I don't know how many uh, young girls have lost their virginity to some dirt bag because they wanted to feel valuable yeah. at that moment. And it's a horrible story when that value is just taken away and just rubbed in the mud because that 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 idea was just manipulated and misconstrued. Um, you know, going into, uh, and it really leads us into our next, our next one, which is pride. And living out of pride steals from the person. It steals from the person. And I want us to read uh, Luke chapter 15, verses 14 through 16. It says, about the time his money ran out. I like how it doesn't even say, like, it doesn't give, like, much detail. It's like, and you already know his money ran out. A great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his field to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the part here is that this man's pride led him to this place where living out of his pride, when, when we do that, when we live out of our pride, problems come all at once. Not only did he run out of money, but at the same time, what a coincidence, the same time that he ran out of his money, there's a famine that hits the land. And, uh, I mean, out of the, all the odds, that's what living out of pride does. It's just pride is like a magnet mm-hmm. for destruction. That's, the Bible tells us all throughout Proverbs that pride leads to destruction. And it's just a magnet to 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 fall down and hit your butt. To, to Pride is a magnet to fall rock bottom. And not saying that everybody that hits rock bottom was living out of pride, mm-hmm. but um, but living out of pride will de- is like a sure way ticket. And the, what we can see here is that prideful living leads us to eat less, really, like eat less. This dude is eating far much less because he was feeding his pride. Mm-hmm. He quit a good job to take a crappy job. He, was, he didn't want to put up with his dad, his, his bad boss anymore because he disrespected him, because he wasn't giving him the respect he deserved, and so he leaves to feed his pride. I mean, guys, we often make decisions out of pride uh, and, and hurt ourselves, we, and we're willing to hurt ourselves to feed, make our egos go up. Mm. It's like the idea of um, like uh, you're bringing in groceries and... Uh, sorry, mm-hmm. just this is not specific to my kids. Mm. Say you're bringing in groceries and you really do need help, but your kids kind of copped an attitude with you earlier that day. Mm. And so instead of asking them to help you because of your pride, like, oh, they don't want to help, I don't need them. Mm. You end up taking all the work yourself and you make it harder for you because your pride it, uh, wants to feel better. Yeah. You know, that's like a really simple analogy, but uh, there's so many ways that we could we could analyze this kind of scenario. Like I said earlier, like quitting your job, a good you, so many times we've had a good paying job because we felt our pride hurting, we could leave that job 
only to find ourselves like this guy feeding pigs at our second job. Uh, but we showed them. It makes me think about when I was a teenager and my pride, you know, when you're a teenager, your pride starts to build up and you're like, wait a minute, I have, I have an opinion. <laughs> and, and all of a sudden you're thinking you're smarter than everybody else. And it's the first time that you're cognitive and you're like... Well, now that I know how to think for myself, mm. I think I'm always right. <laughs> and my pride started to grow so much as a young teenager and to where out of my pride, I would run away from home. I would not go home for weeks at a time because I didn't need my dad. I didn't need my family. I could make it all on my own. And you know what I proved? That I could be homeless and steal food. Mm. That I lived... Instead of living in a home with walls and AC and a roof without mosquitoes, mm. I, I proved that out of my pride I could live outside on a grassy hill or apartment pools because my pride was being fed even though I wasn't being fed. I had to steal cans of ravioli from HEB. Sorry, HEB. Love you guys. Y'all are <laughs> great, especially through the pandemic. But I had to steal to just feed myself and I was then cold ravioli out of the can seemed uh, even seemed good to me instead of warm home cooked spaghetti, mm. home cooked pasta. But I was eating cold cans of ravioli. Now it may not be pig pods, but what I'm getting at is that I was willing to feed my ego instead of myself. Yeah. And pride is such a dangerous thing, and it can't feed your family. Yeah. Pride is a is a very dangerous thing. That doesn't feed anybody at all, not even yourself. And pride will pride leaves you feeling like you deserve everything while at the same time pushes others away to not give you anything, not even opportunity. Mm. It, the times that we miss opportunities often because pride is like a, like a polarized magnet that when you try to put the same sides of a magnet together, it just it just doesn't work and it pushes it away nonstop. And even if you manage to hold them together, as soon as you let go, the magnets will not stick. They push each other away. That's what pride is like to satisfaction. Mm -hmm. That's what uh, pride is like to even desire, mm -hmm. to where what you're trying to chase after, whether it's, uh, whether it's um, success, whether uh, it's proving yourself, whether, you know, prestige, whatever it is that you're trying to prove out of your pride, it is a reverse magnet that just pushes it away. And it will it will leave you unsatisfied and always chasing, uh, always chasing but never getting. At the end of the story, it says that he was able to persuade the farmer, but he couldn't even eat. He, he's, it's always able to give you a little bit and make you feel good, like, oh, I proved myself this way, but it never gives you what you need. Mm. How, how do you feel about this, this topic on pride? Yeah, um, it's definitely a powerful... Um I guess, perspective from the story. And I feel like one thing that really I think about is pride messes things up for yourself, all these different things, but especially relationships. Mm. Like, look at this son. He had, you know, from what we read, this this dad gave him everything. This He had a well, a good home. He was well-fed. He had everything that he needed right before him. You know, we, that doesn't mean they didn't have scuffles. I don't know. But my point is, is he had a good dad. His dad was there. And he decided to allow pride to not only um, uh, pride get in the way so he can run off with wild living, but pride to get in the way of his relationship with the good father, yeah. you know? And um, so 
that's what I see that's really common. And how many times in our lives do we allow our pride to ruin relationships? Not only distance relationships, but ruin relationships. That if you just say, like, there's so many stories in the Bible, like Joseph, you know, his brothers did him dirty. You know, they wanted to kill him. They sold him into slavery. They told his dad that he died so because they were so jealous of him and so on and so on. That's a powerful story. And he, uh, Joseph had every right to reject them. And, you know, the story later on, he, they ended up coming to him because they needed him since he was in charge of all the food, yeah. all that good stuff. And he had every right to be like, nah, like, suffer. But he forgave them. And not only that, where their relationship was restored. Yeah. But so many times we as people... Don't forgive. Let pride to continue to build those walls and never have those relationships restored that we wanted to be restored deep down all yeah. along. But we're not going to unless we get it. The the apology that we want. The you yeah. know we want them to do it the way we think they should. Mm. And I know this is a, a sensitive subject and um, not pretty. But I feel like how many times have you seen or heard of stories where maybe parents pass away? And how many times have you seen a family completely divided? Mm. Why? Siblings completely divided. I've heard this time and time again. Why? Because of their pride. They think they're entitled to the goods of their parents that their parents worked so hard for their whole life. And they allow pride and greed and selfishness and entitlement get in the way at the end of their parents' lives. And they, they go like years and years without talking because of that. And that right there is a huge, ugly example of pride. And how ugly is that? And so, you know, when I think of pride and all these different aspects, I think of how it ruins relationships and how ugly that is if we allow it to. And so, yeah. Yeah, and I really feel like what Lauren's saying too is the epitome of how it steals from you. Mm -hmm. And you feel like pride is you, but it really is like an outside force Pride is really like an outside force of the enemy that literally causes you to lose and to be stolen from, yeah. and you but you give it freely. Yeah. And it's a and it's such a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Yeah. Um, and so we're going into the third one, and then we're going to wrap it up to what where we are with God in all this. I mean, whether you are. Uh, you're in your the position to where you're looking at pleasure and you're like, man, that's that's kind of like where I'm at right now. Like I feel like my past, I'm stuck there. Mm-hmm. Um, it, or maybe you're in that place of pride to where you're like, you talking about me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, or maybe you're at this part of pressure. We're, after we talk about pressure, we're going to talk about what the Father does and the, His response to all these things. Mm-hmm. So pressure, leaving pressure unprocessed destroys the person. We talked about how pleasure is a lure, uh, the lure that traps a person. We talked about how pride steals from the person. And now pressure unprocessed destroys the person. Mm-hmm. And in Luke chapter 15, verse 17 through 19, continuing the story, says, When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants had food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. Listen to that last part again. Please take me on as a hired servant. Mm -hmm. He says, I'm no longer worried of uh, of being called your son. 
And at the beginning, he says, when he finally came to his senses, it was only in the moment of humility, which is like the opposite of pride, the death to pride, that he was able to think straight. Yeah. It shows that, that pride just um, uh, manipulates and confuses us mm-hmm. to, to a place to where only humility can bring us back to our senses. Yeah. And when you, I mean, just look on social media and look at people fighting it shows like the biggest display of pride. Mm-hmm. I, I, I really believe that some of the biggest arguments on social media are not arguments about politics, religion, or money. It's not even about the welfare of others. It's really about feeding one's pride and ego about being right. Mm-hmm. And, and when you look from a third perspective, you're like, this is crazy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it, it, takes, it takes a humbling experience to say, oh man, like what was I thinking? And going, diving into pressure, pressure left unprocessed will leave your identity warped and confused. At the beginning, I made the connection that there are two sons here in this. In the very beginning, it draws a comparison between two sons, an older son and a younger son. The younger son gets this bad rap the entire story. I mean, does he not exemplify those family members, maybe you, maybe me, of being that mess up, the one that he's just the he's just the f up, and <laughs> I know that was kind of, but we we grave top, yeah. right. <laughs> but the the mess up, and it's almost like this young guy sees himself as just the mess up, and the moment that he's running away, it's like he was just waiting, wanting to get away from his family because. Mm. He already felt this pressure of being expected to fail anyway. Yeah. And, and so many times, if you've been that, I mean, I remember the time when I was the mess up and when I would have like these random in- interactions very sparingly with a family member or um, a, a close person of a family member. <laughs> and, and it seemed like they would only talk about the good things that someone else was doing. Mm. And I would just feel the the unspoken pressure of being a mess up, and I, I had already gotten in trouble with the law. I had to get uh, that I already cost people lawyer lawyer fees, and I was just the mess up that was making everything worse. And that feeling is is heavy because it's an unspoken pressure that everybody just seems to know, but no one talks about. And that's what it feels like in this story. And this pressure is so much. To where even though it was never talked about or addressed, it leaves his identity so warped and so confused to where he thinks that the best solution to this pressure is to just separate himself from his family. You know what? Just don't even call me your son anymore. That way I don't have to live up to your expectation mm-hmm. as a son. I'll just be a hired servant and I'll live that way. I'd rather just be a hired servant than your son because I just can't stand the pressure of meeting these expectations that of I can't be my older brother. I can't be uh, this person or that person. I feel like that's what you want from me, but I can't. Just let me be a worker here because I can't live up to this expectation. I feel like this is the biggest motivator of why Christians run away from their faith. Mm. Most, most people assume that the biggest motivator for people running away from their faith is the term backsliding. Oh, they just wanted to go back into sin. They backslid into mm. sin, into, into the mess that they were in. Y'all, y'all oh, like dang. that? <laughs> yeah. Is that the moonwalk? Yeah, you know. Mm. But 
the truth is, it's not as much that so many people are backsliding and just swan diving into sin. And they've just been fiending for sin yeah. all this time. It's that they feel so much pressure of not being enough for God. They feel so much pressure of not being enough for, their, for a church, that they are not good enough, that they are not worthy, that they are not holy enough. And so they run away because they feel like they can't live up to the pressure of expectations of being a real Christian. Mm. And it is so, it really just breaks my heart to know that when, when people do run away out of that pressure, they're looked at as a prodigal son. It's like, oh, they just wanted to go back and waste their life in wild living. Yeah. No, it's, it's this immense pressure that has them so afraid and so warped at their, in their identity that they feel so unworthy and so, uh, so uh, unvaluable that they cannot be who they feel like they should be. Mm-hmm. That's intense pressure. That kind of pressure is what drives suicide. Yeah. That kind of pressure is what puts people into depression and panic attacks. This pressure is what eats us alive from the inside. And the, the only difference from now in this story, this part of the story, and before, is now that he feels like he's proved all of those unspe- unspoken expectations of failing to be true. It's almost like now he feels like he doesn't have the pressure to... Everyone's thinking he's going to fail. It's like, now everyone knows I already failed, so it's easier to, to not have to worry about failing. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he never felt worthy in the first place, and now he feels like he can say why. Dang. He never really felt worthy in the first place, and now he can say why. And this is where I feel like a lot of us are. A lot of us are this place of feeling so unworthy undeserving and the pressure is just destroying us it's destroying us and we need to really process the pressures that we're feeling and we need to identify if they're accurate if they're true if they're never been spoken why are we feeling this pressure so much i mean think about like the pressures we feel from god to be the perfect christian when the Bible is filled with scripture saying that we would never be perfect, that it is not our job to be perfect, mm-hmm. that it that yes, like we strive for holiness, but the Bible says that our greatest holiness is like filthy rags to God, that that's why we cling to Jesus, mm-hmm. that we are saved by grace, not by works. And yet we feel this pressure to be these super saints, yeah. where even Paul sarcastically talks about these super saints and how they must have joined heaven without us because uh, we're still here on earth and we're still dealing with sin. We still have thorns in our flesh. And this pressure that we're feeling, we need to identify, is this really accurate? Was it spoken or is it derived from something else? And I feel like we need to finish this story to see where we can find ourselves with God. And before we do, what are your your thoughts on pressure, Lauren? Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like um, this is a very real thing, especially like in our Christian walk. And, and there's so many reasons why we feel pressure. But I feel like to me, like a big one and a main one is comparison. Mm-hmm. And so like, you know, him comparing himself to his brother, living in his brother's shadow, you know, and his dad maybe never even 
making him feel that way or speaking words um, to him that would make him think that he's comparing them or prefers one over the other. But simply comparing himself to his brother can easily put that pressure on him to feel like he has to be like that. And I feel like so many times we as people are constantly comparing ourselves to the other Christian, to the other person, to your brother, to your sisters, you know, to whoever it is and whatever it is. And when we constantly compare our walk, our specific, unique, and beautiful relationship with Christ with other people's relationship with Christ, that will constantly make you feel pressured to to pursue Jesus in the way that they do it. But we have to understand that we are on our own journey, taking each step one day at a time, running after Jesus the best that we can in our own way. And Jesus never tells us to be like anybody else. He never asks us to to act like anybody else, to to, uh, seek him like the person next to you, to be who they are. But simply, you know, the Bible is full of his truth about how he wants us just like, you know, who we are. And our relationship will look different. The things that we repent of and the way that we repent and, and how long or how short it takes for us to finally find freedom in those things that we're repenting of. Someone might've had a miracle and be free from addiction overnight, but someone might take years to be truly free, but they are seeking Jesus and have a relationship with him. And there is no, neither one of them is better. They, but if that person is comparing their story to the one who had a miracle overnight, they're constantly going to feel pressure. And when they do trip up and sin again, they're going to feel um, unqualified. They're going to want to run away from Christ because if they had a miracle and no longer sin, why am I having such a struggle? But we don't understand. We're never going to understand why things are different for some people. But at the end of the day, our relationship with God is our relationship with God, you know, and he loves us for who we are. And we, it just like, you know, it's such, I feel like that's such a, um, a, a, a lie from the enemy. So we need to take our eyes off of other people's journeys and breakthroughs and relationships and, and victories and begin to just focus on our own relationship with Jesus. And, and as we finish this story, I feel like it's really going to close that idea of like how Jesus sees us in our own journey, even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of our running away, how he sees us. And it's not the way we think of saying, you need to be like your brother. Your brother stayed home and you ran away and spent all my money. He stayed home. What a good boy. I don't like you anymore. Heck no. Like the end of the story is going to show exactly God's heart towards him and towards us when we find ourselves in those positions. And so that's what I think about it. Yeah, that was super powerful, Lauren. And um, I like just feel the passion, Mm. you know. (laughs) Stop. Um, You know, finishing up the story, it says in Luke chapter 15, verses 20 through 21, this part of the story really shows how the father runs to the runaway. And it says, so he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, quick, Bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Wow. You know, this, 
this part of the story is so powerful. Do you notice that right when he was saying his dialogue of what he had planned over and over in his head of what he was going to say to his dad after all this time, I'm no longer able to be called your son. Now hire me as a, please hire me as a servant. Notice that as soon as he doesn't even get to finish, he says, I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Before he could even go on, his daughter is like, Quick, bring the robe, bring the ring, bring the sandals, start the party. My son is back. Mm -hmm. He couldn't even finish asking his father to make him a servant, to hire him. It, It just shows that the father, this scripture shows that no matter how far we go, our heavenly father waits for our, for us to return. And his embrace, God's embrace to us is quick. It is uniquely intimate. And it is so redemptive mm-hmm. that even when we are trying to, that's how it's like, has he's trying to ask for forgiveness. His father is so quick to redeem him mm-hmm. that he can't even finish getting the words out. Mm-hmm. And notice that he can't even redeem himself through by asking to be hired on as a servant. It just shows the power of the blood of Jesus, how quick that blood covers us and washes over us that we can't even offer a way to earn back uh, God's love, that we can't earn this love from God, that we can't earn God's respect or His grace, that it is so there for us. And it is so unique. It is so quick. And just to give some personification to parts of the story, it says that he was brought in a robe, a ring, and sandals. And in this culture, a robe was a, a symbol of identity, a, a doctor's robe, a judge's robe. It, it resembled who you belong to. Joseph was given a robe. It show, it's all about identity, who you are in, in the culture, who you are in your family. And it says that he was immediately uh, given his identity back. Mm. And the reason I say back is because when we are taken away by pressure, by pride, by pleasure... Our identity is literally lost in those moments, in those times. When I lived a wild life before, I lost myself. I lost what I believed in. I lost my identity. But the minute I came to God, the Father, I found my true identity. I found the robe that was meant for me. And the, the ring that was given to him, in that culture, a ring was a sign of authority. When they would sign things, they would use... The, a, a signet ring to where it would be, uh, the ring had a special engraving on it to where if something was sealed with this ring, it means that they had authority to, to, to deliver this, to buy this, to whatever. And this ring was a sign of authority and relationship. Immediately, notice that he didn't do anything to get this ring back. He didn't do anything. Um, and also, it never says a ring was get, given to him before. It never said that something was taken away. It says that he literally like left in the night. And the way that he left seemed like he was pretty pissed off or wanted to get away. I'd imagine him on the way just getting his ring and just throwing it into a creek somewhere, saying, I'm never coming back. Mm-hmm. And even though out of all that emotion, the minute he comes back, his authority and his place in this family was restored. Mm-hmm. And then finally the sandals that were given to him, Dude, oh my gosh, sandals, that's covering for your feet. That's everywhere you've been and everywhere that you're going. And what he's saying is that it doesn't matter all the pain of your past, I'm covering it now. It's gonna, The blisters on your feet are going to feel better with me now. And the, everywhere that you're going is going to be with purpose. Past is covered and the future is set before you. It is so symbolic 
this story of the prodigal son. And the, the life, life is just simply found in relationship with the father. The way that he describes it, my son was dead and now he's alive. Mm-hmm. What the father is saying is that my life had, had stopped the minute that you left. My life was on pause because I was waiting for you to come back. But that is the immense love he has for his son. It says that he was waiting and looking out for his son to come back. And, and truly, life is found in the relationship with the Father, mm-hmm. God the Father. And the, the way that I love that this part ends, it says, and so the party began. Mm-hmm. I mean, this, this whole story started with him looking for a party. Dang, that's crazy. It, it, it started with him looking for wild living. He was looking for a party. And it ends with him having a party. It, it was a party of his redemption. It was a party of his life. And to know that he went looking all over the place to find life, to find something to live for, and he, he lost it all. The minute that he comes back to the Father, that he, he comes back from running away, it's like he found what he was always looking for. Mm. And I really believe that if we don't feel like our Christianity has this, this joy to it, then there's something that we're missing. If we, don't, if, if we don't believe that God is excited about us, then there's something that we're not believing to be truth. And I know that I went over a lot here, but Lauren, share with me what you're feeling through what we just talked about. Yeah, um, it just makes me think of the part of coming home um, to to our father. I feel like so many times, so in this story, his son had the option to never go home again. Yeah. His son, even when he hit rock bottom, he had the option to allow pride and pleasure and all these things to stop him, but especially his doubts of the love of the father. Yeah. He could have been overwhelmed with the, the feeling of I messed up. My dad's never going to love me again or accept me again. How can I face him again? And he could have not gone home. And I feel like so many times in our walk with Christ, you know, whether we've ran away, whether we've messed up big time, whether we've just been so distant, all these different reasons, we allow these doubts of who we are in our performance to stop us sometimes. There's people who run away and never come back to Christ because they are afraid that his face is turned, that he is disappointed, that he wants nothing to do with them, that he's busy with all the good Christians blessing them, that he's too busy, his his back is turned, and he's dealing with them. He's not waiting for the sinner that ran away. And that's what we think. But I felt... In the story, it's so awesome because he says when he returned home to his father, he chose to return home. And it it took that humility. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. And I think that that's just so powerful because just like the Bible gives those different stories and examples, when one sheep is missing, he goes out, leaves the 99 to find that one. Yeah. You know, and, and even for us, whether we've been a Christian for a billion years or one year. <laughs> but a long time. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but we run away, literally, just like the story, God stops everything. He's not just dealing with the good Christians to bless them because they're being good. He, his heart breaks. His heart misses you. His heart desires you. And not only is he waiting there like, okay, is he coming back? Is he coming back? He chases you. He drops everything to go find you. Yeah. Not to come and find you and say, what's up? Why'd you do that? But to say, hey, I've been waiting for you. I love you and I want you. Let's party. 
you know? <laughs> but, but I mean, honestly, how many times do we doubt God's unconditional love for us? The first thing the father did here in the story was not condemn him, teach him a lesson, scold him, like a lot of us parents do. Okay, do you understand what you did wrong? You're not going to do it again, right? Okay, are you ready to go back out and do right? You know, sometimes when we put our little kids in timeout, like, are you not going to push your sister again? <laughs> you know, okay, are you ready? No, you know, that that's necessary sometimes. But in this story, <laughs> and when our relationship with God, God is not like, okay, are you done? Are you done? I don't know, whatever. But he literally just embraces us. He doesn't want to hear all of your apologies. He wants to just give you, just like this said, a new identity, a restored identity, uh, the authority again, and forgive your past and give you purpose again, you know? And so all I could say is don't doubt his unconditional love. Don't make the decision not to return to him because he is there waiting for you. He loves you unconditionally, and there is a purpose for you still. And, and it's going to be amazing. And so yeah. he loves you. That's yeah. all. Yeah. That was so powerful, Lauren. And, you know, with that being said, I want you to think about where you are in this story. Are, do you, are you feel like you're the, the son that never left? It, and we didn't, we're not finishing off the story. It talks about how the son uh, felt uh, neglected because of all the attention on his younger brother. It's like that they were both just comparing each other the whole story. But are you the son that never left and you feel like God has, has overlooked you? Mm-hmm. Or are you this son that you're in a place of uh, of uh, running after pleasure because you're trying to fill something in your heart? Yeah. You're in a place where you're you're letting pride lead you. You're or are you in a place where you feel so much pressure to be somebody that you feel like you can't be that's making you run away. Where are you in this story? Yeah. But biggest question is: Are you in a place where you feel like you're ready to run to the Father? Are you in a place to, where you feel like you're ready to to trust God? And if you've never been to that place before and you want to today, it is so simple to start this journey. Just like this son here says, all you have to do is, is start this walk. And the Father is waiting for you. And it's the Bible says in the book of Romans that, that all it takes is this a conversation. That if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth who Jesus is, then surely you shall be saved. And what do we save from? It's not just H-E double hockey stick, but it's, it's all of the, the pressure in this world. It's all of the, the death in this world that, that kills us as we live. It, it's this kind of unsatisfying life mm. that there's truly peace and abundant life found in Him. Yeah. And so if that is you, all you have to do is, is make a prayer, is talk to Him, and tell Him that you want to start this walk this relationship, not just another religion, but a relationship yeah. with God the Father and that you want to see God as your Father. Mm-hmm. Have that kind of conversation with Him and, and, and get plugged into a community, a church, hopefully our church because we want to love on you and walk with yeah. you through this journey. But even if you, there's another church that you know that, oh, I've been there for a while and I left and I really want to go back, we, you just need to get plugged in. And get around a community of believers that you can trust, that you can talk to, that you can be open and honest with without feeling like you're going to be judged if you say something. You just need a place where you can grow with people. And if you need help making that prayer, you don't really know where to start, I encourage you to try. But if you really need some help, please message us. That's what we're here for. We want to walk with you on this journey so that you don't have to do it alone. And... With all that being said, 
Um, I'm so grateful for you guys being a part of today's message, today's uh, online uh, service. And I want you guys to really know that this this message, um, we, we prayed for you guys. Even right before giving this message, we were praying for y'all. Not only spiritually, but physically. We've been praying for you guys to, to even just not get sick. We don't want anybody that watches um, grave top online to get the coronavirus. I mean, we, we don't want anyone to have any uh, issues wrong in their life. We want y'all to be healthy. We want y'all to, to be um, inspired. We want y'all to be edified in your faith. And we just really pray that you guys were blessed today. And that, um, and just like what Lauren was saying at the beginning, we're going to be, uh, we're looking at starting, um, as we continue to open forward of starting home groups, uh, to be able to where we're still going to have online services, but have home groups where we can start seeing each other in person, encourage one another. Um, but we will continue to let y'all know if y'all have ideas of specific specific times that you would want to meet or days or times that would be good for you. Can you just message us so that we know we want to do what works with you. So just let us know and, and give us your feedback. But with all that being said, we love y'all so much. We, we care about y'all. Um, uh, just uh, final thoughts, uh, Stephanie Ayala, thank you for being a part today. Um, Simo, thanks for joining us today. Stephanie Franklin, thank you for sharing that. That was so transparent and so real. And I hope that in the message that you you got um, you got an answer to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, Edward, thank you for uh, saying that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and Ernesto, I saw you jump on. We love you guys. All uh, all the rest of you, we we love y'all so much. We care about y'all. Have a great rest of your evening and happy early Mother's Day to all you moms out there. Shout out. You are doing a great job. Yes. You are doing a great job, mom. Mm-hmm. We love you. Have a great day. I hope you enjoyed the message today. If you did, there's a couple things that you could do to connect. First is to subscribe to our show so that the most recent episode will always be in your feed, ready when you are. And second is if this ministry has impacted you and you'd like to help us continue to reach others, you can click the link in the description or visit our website, gravetop.com, and you can give now. I'll see you next time on the Gravetop Church Podcast.